Hello, how is everybody doing tonight? Awesome, so glad that you decided to join us on this Friday night. What a great place to be. I am so excited to be here because like Laura said, this is home. I was telling everyone in my office, I'm going home for the weekend, and they were like, whoa, California is your home. And so I don't know when it actually changes, but I still say I'm coming home for the weekend because this just feels right, you know? So I'm so glad to be here. I've been in California for about three and a half years now, and I love it. It's so much fun. You know, but as I was thinking about when I first got to California, there was something that was really surprising to me about Californians. And I remember that I would tell people like about something really awesome, like, hey, you should really go over there, that's a really cool place. And then they would be constantly like wanting to talk about one specific topic. So I would tell people about this or this, and they always brought it back to this one thing. Like Californians are obsessed ta with talking about this one thing. And I'm, if I'm like, guys, we should go to lunch over there, they bring it back to this topic. If I'm like, you'll never believe it. I went and I checked out this thing over here, they bring it back to this topic. I mean, this is the thing they think about, they talk about, they can't get enough of. And what they talk about, non-stop is, what freeway are you taking to get there? You know, like that's what they want to know. I'm like, what? And they, they want to know. If I'm like, we, we should go over here, they're like, yeah, but what freeway should we take? Like that's part of the major conversation. And I remember being so surprised. I mean, when I would say that I wanted to go somewhere, it took five minutes for people to explain the route they thought I should take. You know, they were like, oh man, you have got to avoid the 405 because if you're on the 405, you'll be on there for four or five hours. It is like, it is too much. Are you taking the 55? Are you getting on the 73? Which one are you going? And so it's this big thing. And I quickly came to realize that this sketch that I loved so much, this SNL sketch about the Californians actually was true. You know, I thought, surely, surely not. There's no way they talk about directions this much. There is no way, but guys, they do. They are obsessed with it. And I found myself somewhat confused that this seemed to be such the topic of conversation. Because like we said, I've spent many, many years here in Springfield, Missouri, and never once have I ever said, y'all, Let's get some Andes on the south side. Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna hop on the 65 and then get onto the 60 and then you'll get off right on Glenstone and we're gonna have some Andes. We don't do that. We don't talk about the 65. We don't even say it's the 65. It's just 65, you know? And we probably don't think about 65 a whole lot. We don't think about 60 a whole lot. We don't think about these freeways a whole lot because it's not a huge deal to us, right? Californians are dramatic. And so I, back in March, I changed, and I actually went from working in one place to uh, my new job, my new church in another city, and I began to live this life called commuting. And oh my goodness, I travel, I, it's, a, it's a one hour commute from where I live to where I work. And almost every day of the week, I spend a lot of time on the freeway. And I'm, I started to think about like how my life has changed so much since March because this is my everyday routine. 
I turn on maps, not because I don't know how to get there, but because there is a lot to think about when I decide what route I'm gonna take. I turn on maps, and when I turn on maps, I know I'm getting on the 57. And I'm looking at the 57, and as soon as I get to a certain juncture, I'm either, depending on what map says, going to take the 22 or the five. And then when I get onto the, one of those, then I'll finally get onto the 55 south, and then I have to look again to see what does map say I should do, because I'm either gonna take the 405 or the 73 to get to where I need to go. And I realized over the last several months why Californians talk about this freeway business all the time because I've realized I think about the five, I sit on the five, I spend time with the five, I talk about the five, I get to work, I let people know that I was on the five, I let people, it is, it is now a part of my life and I realized the reason we do this as Californians is because the freeways, they are major characters in our life. Like they are a major character in our life. We spend so much time with the freeways that we have to talk about it because we think about it. We plan around it. It is a major character in my life. And then I started to think about how I have some other characters that are major in my life. In fact, I have a new character over the last year and a half that has entered my life. And during lockdown, during quarantine, I fell into the trap that many Americans fell into. I got myself a puppy. I got myself a puppy. In fact, I wanna introduce you to Rosie. This is Rosie. She is my little golden doodle. Now, I wanted to make sure that Rosie just knew how to, uh, how to live with the right, just like the right you know, posture and right view. And so I got her here in Missouri and brought her to California because I'm a transplant. I want her to be a transplant. And so th that's me at my parents' house when I first picked Rosie up. And Rosie is now a major character in my life. And and I, I, any other dog moms in the house? Any do Come on, loud and proud. That's amazing. You know, when I got Rosie, I was so excited because she looks like a stuffed animal, y'all. She, she's so cute. If you didn't say it, I'll say it. All right? She is so cute. And I remember I brought her home. And I brought her to my apartment in California. And I'm sitting there. And I'm basking in her glory. And I'm like, oh, you are the cutest thing I've ever seen. I can't believe you're mine. And then I started to think, man, how is she gonna let me know when she needs to go to the bathroom? I just don't know how this is gonna work out. And so I started to think like, you know, as her mom, I want her to know I'm here for her. Like I can help her out. I can take her outside if she's ready to use the restroom, but I'm not sure how to let her know about that. Like let her know that I'm here for her. So I'm like starting to think, oh my goodness, I got this dog, but I never actually thought about what do I do with a dog once I get a dog. And so I started to look up these like YouTube videos on how to potty train dogs. And it was way too cumbersome, way too complicated. I'm like, I'm not wanting to work hard. I'm wanting something simple. And so I looked on Amazon and I saw like a button and the model really sold it for me. It was this golden retriever that I could tell was a good boy. And I, and I saw, and it's this picture of a golden retriever sitting so perfectly with his paw pushing the button to let his wonderful owners know, hey, listen, it's time for me to go out. I'd love to go out if you don't mind. And so I thought, oh gosh, if my, if my Rosie could be that kind of dog, that would just be incredible. So I bought the button. I install the button on my door. I tell Rosie, I'm like, Rosie, come on over here. Um, listen, I just want to introduce you to the button. This button is so that you can let me know if you need to go to the bathroom. And um, I try to explain it to her. I don't think she got it. She um, never used the button. I mean, we tried day one, didn't use the button. Day two, I mean, then we're like weeks into this thing. She never once used the button. We're a year and a half 
into our relationship, she's never hit the button. Never once hit the button. In fact, I told my brother about the button and he said, oh my gosh, my baby keeps hitting that button. And I had no idea what that button was for. I'm telling you what, like I just thought for sure it was gonna be super simple, but we made it past that moment in our lives. And Rosie is bigger. She's not wiser, but she's bigger. And we, we now have a great relationship. I wanna show you Rosie, who, this is what she looks like now. I know, so cute. She, the best way to look at her is on a picture because you don't have to deal with any of the stuff she brings to the table. And so Rosie, she, she, does not, she does not listen to me. She does not obey me. She does not respect me. And so I, I know this is my fault, but at the same time, I, I'm telling everyone my woes about Rosie because Rosie is a major character in my life and now I talk about her all the time. And so I'm telling people, guys, pray for me. My dog doesn't listen to me. And they're like, well, you've got to be a disciplinarian. And I'm like, I don't think so. I don't want to do that. And so I was talking to someone and they said, Tiff, I think I know what your problem is. I'm like, tell me. Your dog loves you, but doesn't respect you. And I was like, okay. That, uh, I'm not offended by that. I actually believe that's true. And so, I mean, she thinks that this is a 50-50 partnership. She's like, this is great. You've brought me here to your life. Um, we're in this 50-50. I, I get my way some of the time. You get your way some of the time. This is just how we roll. We're just roommates, and this is how we go. And so I show up every single day when I get home from work, and I'm not wondering, did Rosie eat something or mess up something? I'm just wondering, what is that something that she has eaten or messed up? Because it is just an everyday thing. In fact, even here, my brother texted me a picture of what she, her latest thing that she ate and messed up. And I started to think about how Rosie is this major character in my life. I mean, over the last couple of years, the five is now this major character in my life and Rosie is a major character in my life. And I started to think about how we all have these major characters in our lives, don't we? You know, we have the characters that are super fun and awesome and we celebrate, like I can't believe this. this is the character that's in my life right now and it brings us so much joy and it's amazing. And we celebrate that. But then there are also characters that, if we're honest, they don't bring us a lot of joy. You know, in fact, these characters in our life, sometimes these characters seem to be like joy blockers, you know, like peace blockers. Like these characters in our life are actually so big, you wake up thinking about it. You go to bed thinking about it because these characters are so like in your face the whole time because they are such a prominent part of your life. And for some people, maybe a character was like thrust upon you. For some people, maybe you're just living with this like low grade like irritation because there's this character that's been around for a long time. But if we're honest, there are some characters that actually have caused so much pain in our life that we actually have stopped viewing them as just neutral characters, but now we're viewing them as like enemies that are blocking us from what we want to do. There are enemies that are blocking from where we are to where we hope to be. You know, when I think about how I hope to drive to work and I need to get to work, but there is a character that is blocking me from where I need to be, and that character is the five freeway, you probably also have a character in your life that seems to be blocking you from where you need to go. And that character feels like the enemy. And I started to think about what are these characters? What are these things that feel like enemies in our lives sometimes? And perhaps your character today could it be a difficult relationship that you're dealing with that just feels like, it feels like it's an enemy that's blocking you from the life that you wish you could live. 
Or maybe it's a financial struggle and you feel like, I just, I want to flourish. Like I want to have this life of generosity and this life where I'm not stressed out all the time, but there's this financial struggle that is actually blocking me. It's in between me and the hope that I want to have. Or maybe it's a child that's far from God and it breaks your heart and you think about it all the time. And when you think about your life, there's a lot of things going on, but there's a major character, and this character of this sadness is your enemy. And you feel like it is blocking you from the life you wish you could have. Perhaps it's, perhaps it's a health crisis, or maybe it's not anything at all. Maybe it's a void of something you wish existed. You know, maybe you look at the thing, the character in your life, and it's actually this void it's this sense of loneliness because you wish that you were married, but you're not married. Or maybe you wish that you had a child, but you don't have a child. Or you wish you had that job that you so wanted, but you don't have that job. Maybe you wish you had a friend, but you don't feel like you have a friend that you can trust right now. When you look at the thing that is staring at you in the face, it's the void that is not being, that you can't even like describe what it is because it's this void. Or maybe it's something that's coming from inside. Maybe it's anxiety or depression. And when you, when you think about your life, there's one thing staring at you in the face and it's the enemy that is anxiety that is riddling you from inside or depression that you feel like has a hold on your life, that there is nothing that can be stronger than this thing that you can't even quite articulate and no one around you can see it. But yet it's so real and so big. Whatever it is, whatever this enemy is that you're thinking about, maybe you're here today and you're just praying, God, could you take this enemy away so that I could have peace on the other side, so that I could have hope on the other side, so that I could have joy on the other side. This is the prayer that you pray perhaps because there is an enemy that is so a major character in your story. And as I started to think about this, I remember that there was a time in my life where I felt like I had a major character that felt like an enemy. And I was in a season where I had a boss who was so difficult. I mean, he was an awful boss. And my life at around this time, it just felt like the only thing I could think of was this boss that felt like an enemy because this boss was like gaslighting me and the other employees. This boss would say one thing one day and then say another thing the next day. And I never knew like what I was coming into. And I was trying to navigate my way through this season in a way that honored God, but it felt like this enemy was so big big and so powerful and I was so I mean I felt like the entire time I was in the season I felt like I was bracing for impact because I didn't know what he was going to do and I was just like every day I would go in any interaction I was bracing myself was this enemy going to hurt me was this enemy going to gaslight me again was this enemy going to fill in the blank and I just remember being so overwhelmed by just how hard this season was and when I looked at this major character in my life this is all I could see this is all I could see. In fact, as I would pray, 90% of my prayer life was, God, would you please take this away? God, would you move me? Would you take me out of this situation? Because it is too hard. I don't think I can make it another day. Would you please help me? Would you please help me? Would you please help me? And that was my prayer life for so long. And I remember one day I was praying like I always did for a rescue. Would you rescue me? Would you rescue me? And as I was praying and walking, I felt like the Holy Spirit said, Tiff, I, I know, I know right now you feel like this enemy is so big and so powerful and that you, you don't feel like you can quite get the joy that you want or the peace or the purpose that you want to embrace. 
But could it be that you are so obsessed with staring at your enemy that you're not even allowing me to speak anything else to you? 90% of the time that I was with the Lord, I was asking him for one thing. And so if he had anything else to say about my life or anything else he wanted to tell me, I didn't give him any space for it. And I remember in that moment saying, God, you're so right. It's still so big and I still don't know how to handle it, but would you help me? Would you, would, would you help me pray and ask you for a rescue and then put it aside and then whatever you wanna say, I'm here. And I remember it was in that same season that I went on this retreat. And when I went on this retreat, I was told that we were going to read this particular passage. And when I heard what the passage was, I was kind of bummed out because I have heard this passage my whole life. Like I knew this passage, I could probably recite this passage to you. So I thought, I think I've squeezed everything I can out of this. I don't think there's anything new for me here, but I mean, I guess this is the assignment, so this is what I'll do. And I was told, take this passage, and don't just read it, but read it and sit with it. And then read it and sit with it. And just ask God over and over again for an extended period of time, God, do you have anything to say in this passage? And can I tell you, it was in that time where I sat still in front of the Lord with no agenda and just said, God, do you have anything to tell me in this moment? that he absolutely brought this passage to life in a brand new way, exactly in the moment that I needed it. And tonight, I just wanna share with you what he shared with me, because I have to imagine that in this room, there are some of you who right now, you are thinking about that major character in your life. You are thinking about the thing that feels like an enemy that is right in front of you. That is the thing you've been talking to God about nonstop. And you should talk to him about it. You should ask him for a rescue. But perhaps today, he wants to tell us something that we're not even looking for. And today, I wanna read this passage. And I wanna encourage you to not check out because it's familiar, but instead lean in and ask God, God, could there be something fresh that you want to teach me today? Is there something that you want to share with me today? And so we're gonna read Psalm 23. Psalm 23, and here is what it says. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all of the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Isn't that beautiful? Like if, if you just... Forget that you just knew it, but you've heard it for the first time, like, and this is what God is telling us, what he wants to do for us. Isn't that the most incredible thing? And there's so many th incredible things we can pull out of this, but I want to jump into a specific verse that has so helped me in seasons where I feel like the enemy is so close and so there and so big, and it is verse 5, and I love what it says. It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. You know, the message puts it this way. You serve me a six-course dinner right in front of my enemies. You revive my drooping head. My cup brims with blessing. So my question for you today is, what are the enemies that you feel like you're in the presence of? You know, what, what is it that you feel like, man, I feel like I'm constantly in the presence of 
Maybe it's your circumstance. Maybe it's health or financial or maybe it's anxiety or depression or whatever it might be. What is it right now that you feel like I am in the presence of my enemies and it is overtaking me? It feels like they're in the way of embracing hope, of embracing peace, of embracing your purpose. You want to step into those things, but there's an enemy that seems to be blocking you. And when I read this scripture, I was reading it when I was in the middle of that job I was telling you about. When I was in the middle of trying to navigate that boss that was really, really hard. And I came across this verse. I thought, okay, I get the first part in the presence of my enemies. You're going to tell me what you're going to do for me. But I was so confused at why he was doing what he was saying he was going to do. Why does he actually prepare a table for me? Why does he actually set up a six-course meal in the presence of my enemies? Because for me, if I'm in the presence of my enemies, then I feel like I'm in a battle. I feel like I've got some, like a fight to fight. And so if I'm in the presence of my enemies, I'm expecting if God is going to show up and help me, that he's going to help me fight the fight. Right? That just makes sense. And so I remember asking God, God, why is it? Like I would think that if I call out to you, I have enough faith to think you could help, then what you're going to do is you're going to help me fight this battle. Like maybe you're going to give me a shield so that I don't actually have to take those hits anymore. Or maybe you're going to bring people alongside of me who can like be my army that can help fight with me. Maybe you're going to give me a sword. But instead, he doesn't do any of those things. Instead, he starts doing the craziest thing. The thing that doesn't make any sense at all because when you're in the presence of your enemy, you're tense and you're ready for the next thing. But instead, what he does is he says, I know that you are in the presence of your enemy. And so what I'm gonna do is I'm actually going to set a table for you. I'm gonna set a table for you. And I started to think, God, why would you set a table? Because this doesn't seem very significant. This doesn't seem like it would actually make a difference in my life. If you're setting a table, why are you doing this? This doesn't seem like the time or the place to set a table. What, what are you trying to tell me? And as he sets a table, I imagine that he's telling us, hey, I, I know right now you are staring at your enemy. You're staring at it, and it doesn't make any sense, and you've asked me for help, and so here's what I'm doing. I'm setting a table. I'm setting a table. I'm getting it ready. I'm getting it ready because I've got something for you you don't even know that you can have right now. I'm going to take my time and prepare. When you go somewhere where a table is set, that means that they've cared enough about you to take the time to prepare. This is not a flippant motion. This is not a quick little thing that God is trying to do to fix your situation. Instead, he's saying, okay, I see where you're at, and I'm so sorry that you're in the presence of your enemy. So here's what I'm doing. I'm getting ready to help you. I'm getting ready to help you. I've got some things for you. I'm going to prepare a meal. I want to prepare a six-course meal that is going to be so good. I'm setting it up. I'm taking my time. I'm not in a hurry. I know that you're stressed. You don't know if you can make it past this moment, but I'm actually working right now. I am setting up this meal. I'm trying to get this ready because I've got something so good for you that you don't even know is possible in this moment. I have got an incredible gift for you, and this gift is that I have set this meal and I am sitting down at this meal. And because I'm sitting down, I want you to know something. That I've made this meal because I want you to remember that even when you're in the middle of the presence of your enemies, even when you're in a battle, I actually have 
my presence that's available for you. I, my presence is here. I'm sitting at the table. Would you come? Would you sit with me? Would you sit with me in this moment? And I think about the times that I've sat at a meal where my, a table was actually prepared. And it's not a place of anxiety. It's not a place where you feel like you're in a battle. It's a place where you feel like, I can breathe. I'm probably around people that I love, people that care for me. When you're, when you're not so tense because you're in a battle, then all of a sudden you can start to eat. You can start to drink. And when you do that, all of a sudden, your posture changes. All of a sudden, you feel like, man, I'm at this table. There is food for me that is good. There is a God that is sitting at this table. And what I believe he wants to let us know, because this is what he shared with me, and it so rocked my world, is I feel like he whispered to me in this moment, Tiff, I know right now your enemy is so big. And it is so huge and so, it seems overwhelming. And that's real. And that's there. And I'm so sorry you're going through it. And I know right now the only way you think that you're going to get through this, the only way that you think you're going to experience hope, the only way you think you're going to experience peace or joy is for me to change your circumstances. But I have something to tell you. I am such a good God that I wasn't stressed when I was setting this table. I am in control, I've always been in control, and I just want you, my daughter, to sit down and to eat and to drink because I need you to know that I don't actually have to do anything to change your circumstances around you in order for you to feel the peace that I want you to feel within you. I don't have to clear out the battle in front of you, the enemies in front of you, so that you can experience this incredible peace that I have for you. I want you to know I'm with you. I'm with you. So I know, it's real. But stop looking there and start looking at me. Start looking at the God who gives you peace because I'm right here and I'm offering it. And all I'm asking you to do is to not ignore this table I've set, but instead humble yourself enough to sit down and sit down and experience the peace that only God can give. You know, I started to think about how when, when I read through this, and I started to fully like understand like what God was saying in, in this moment. Was I, I was able to see, okay, God, the circumstances around me haven't changed. But I'm going to stop staring at the enemy in front of me and I'm going to sit down. I'm just going to look at you. And I do pray for a rescue. Would you get me out of here? But in the meantime, I know you've offered me this incredible peace. So I'm going to sit down and I'm going to eat and I'm going to drink. And I'm going to experience the peace that you want to do in and through me, even while I'm in the midst of a battle. You know, I love that we serve a God who has shown this to be true time and time again. You know, I remember in, in the book of Daniel, there are three men who were God-honoring men. They loved God. They worshiped God. And they decided that in a moment where they were told that they needed to bow and worship something other than the one and true God, they said no. They said, nope, I know who I serve. I will serve and only worship the one true God. And their names are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they found themselves in a situation where they made the right choice. And in that moment, they found themselves surrounded by their enemies because the king was infuriated. And the king wanted to throw them into the fiery furnace so that they could be burned alive because the king couldn't stand that he was not, they were not going to worship this uh, the worship the king. And so what happened was they were, they, were, they were brought to the fire and they tell the king, king, 
Our God could save us from the fire. But even if he doesn't, we're still not gonna worship you. That's like bold faith, isn't it? That's incredible. Even if he doesn't, we still believe he could and we still believe he's good. And here they are believing. I have to imagine men that are full of faith like this. I mean, I wonder what they thought God was gonna do in that moment. You know, could it be that they thought, oh, I know God's done some big things before. I wonder what he's gonna do. Is he going to perhaps, like the moment they throw us in, God's gonna blow the fire around. We're gonna go in and it's gonna be no fire and we're gonna tell our kids and our grandkids that God showed up. Or maybe they thought, you know what? God is the God of time. I know he can make the sun stand still. What if he actually paused the moment? You know, like everybody's like mid-motion like the movies, but we still get to move around. And so the king is like this, everybody's like this, but we get to sneak out and we get to go on and we get to live our lives and we get to tell our kids and our grandkids, you'll never believe what God did. God saved us from the fiery furnace. I wonder if that's what they thought would happen. But instead, they were thrown into the fiery furnace. And the king looked at them, and they, he, he knew for sure he was going to see them being burned alive. But instead, what happened was so incredible, so much bigger and better than they could have ever imagined. They are in the fiery furnace, and they are walking around as if it's not even hurting them. And the king looks and says, whoa, whoa, I thought we threw three men in the fire. Why do I see four? And you know what was incredible? The most amazing part of this whole story is that it was the presence of God that carried him through that trial. It was the presence of God. God's presence gave them the peace. God miraculously saved them. And then the king brought them out and he was so blown away that their God would show up in the middle of the fire, would protect them, would care for them, that he said, okay, that's it. We're declaring that these men actually know the one and true God. Isn't that incredible? See, God doesn't have to get us out of the fire in order for us to experience his presence. That's an incredible thing that God would do that. I love that we serve a God who says, I am here and I am with you. My presence is here in the midst of the fire. Jesus wants to be here. He wants to come and to say, hey, I've got you. I know that it's big, but peace is not waiting on the other side of the victory. The, in the midst of the battle that you're going through, peace and struggle can actually coexist at the same time. And you know, I've been through seasons in life where I have felt like I have been in a battle. In the midst of my battle, I'm begging God to do something to save me and to rescue me. And I think that we should ask God to rescue us. But I think it's so important for us to recognize that the rescue is not the only way that God wants to provide his peace, his joy, his purpose, his hope. He actually wants to give us these things even while we still have an enemy right in front of us. Peace is not on the other side. It could be right here. All we have to do is stop. And remember that he's made a table and sit and eat and look at the author of peace instead of the enemy that is so big. And I was so grateful when he shared this with me. And yet at the same time, I would go to work and then the enemy would become big again. And then I would be overwhelmed again and I would start to allow the enemy to dictate whether or not I was going to have peace that day or joy that day. And it was so huge. And then I would remember, that's right, that's right, I got to sit at the table, I got to sit at the table. And I remember this was so hard because it was so hard to remember to sit at the table because the enemy seemed so real that I actually pulled out my phone and I set an alarm on my phone. And when I set the alarm on my phone, it actually said this and I said it for three times a day and it said, sit and eat. 
and receive peace. Stop looking at the enemies and start looking at the author of peace. And so today, my question for you is, what if you started to believe that what God said was true? What if you started to believe that peace is possible even today? See, we can get this peace. It's not so far off. All we have to do is simply sit at the table and eat and drink and be with the author of peace. And I know that there's, there's, there's so many stories in this room, and I don't know all of your stories, but can I tell you that God knows your story? He knows exactly what you're thinking about right now in this moment. And perhaps you're here, and you're hearing this, and you're thinking, wow, peace would be incredible. Hope would be incredible. I didn't even know that was possible. And you know it's not possible. Peace is not possible. Hope is not possible until you go to the only one who can offer us hope, who can offer us peace, and that person is Jesus Christ. He is the only one who is strong enough, who is big enough, who has paid the price enough to offer us hope and peace and satisfaction and wholeness. This is the Jesus that we serve. This is the whole reason that we gather together on a Friday night because we remember that Jesus is the only name that matters. Because right now, we might be thinking about that enemy in front of us, but can I tell you, Jesus has already squashed that enemy. Jesus had this incredible rescue plan because he loves you so much. He loves you so much, and he wanted so badly to have a relationship with you that he came down to this world. He lived a perfect life, and then he died on a cross bearing your sin and my sin. And he died on the cross, and on the third day, he rose again, defeating death and the grave so that you and I could have a relationship with our heavenly father so that we could be reconciled to him because he knows what some of us may not know. We are not good enough to make it to heaven by ourselves. We are not good enough to, to get a seat at the table in heaven. But he's like, I don't care. I love them so much that I know it costs a lot and I know they'll never be good enough, but I love them so much that I'm going to pay such an incredible price because I need them to know they matter and they are valuable. And I so want them to experience this peace that I have for them. I so want them to experience this joy that I have for them that I will pay this price because I so want a relationship with them. That's what we're all about. And so if you have never stepped into a relationship with Jesus, then I wanna invite you to step into a relationship with Jesus because that's the only way you will ever, ever, ever have this peace that we're talking about and this joy and this hope. It's the only way that you'll be able to be whole and okay. It's the only way you're gonna make it through this life. It's in the only way you're going to be able to navigate eternity because eternity is taken care of. We get to be with him forever in eternity and it's a beautiful thing. And so tonight, I wanna lead you in a prayer. If you've never prayed this prayer, this could be the moment that you accept this incredible gift of salvation. And so right now, if you'd bow your heads and close your eyes,